From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball. Welcome to a full hour of sports analytics here on Wharton Moneyball. This is Cade Massey hosting with the whole crew. Eric Bradlow is here. Shane Jensen is here. Audie Weiner is here. We are recording on Tuesday afternoon, as we typically do. The show will go up on SiriusXM first thing in the morning, Wednesday. Be replayed a few times over the course of the week. We'll also get the podcast up tomorrow, Wednesday. We will do our normal format this week. We run about an hour, and we bring guests in for the second half of the show. Ethan Strauss is our guest, second half of the show this week. Second time on the show, I believe, Ethan has really caught our eye in the past year. Audie wants credit for finding him. Audie, do credit for finding Ethan as far as we're concerned. He didn't need us to come along. He's got a long list of followers, very successful Substack. We talk media, what it means for football, what football means for media, bring in a little NBA, bring in a little Philadelphia Eagles, second half of the show. First half will be open lines. We are obviously rolling through the NFL playoffs now. First round is in the books. The first Knockout round, guys. Round of 16 with a couple of buys. What did you think? This thing was, um, I would say, unexpected. Is that a fair summary of the weekend's games? What did you think? Six games, observations. Not a lot of competitive ones. They were. It's basically, it was. Uh, I feel like the, uh, the Lions-Rams was the only really one that was down to the wire. Every single other one of them was a, kind of a trouncing, more or mm-hmm. less. I mean, you know, game flow-wise, they didn't all... They all ended up being trouncings. I guess they didn't all seem like it all throughout, but I, I think just the, I mean, we've all seen the challenges that Dallas has had in the playoffs over the last, whatever, 28 years of them. But what happened, that was, I mean, that was embarrassing. I mean, their defense was, which was, I think, rated number one in the NFL this season, was mm-hmm. absolutely destroyed by the Packers in that game. And so I think there are a lot of people, I, I know some people, number of people that have predicted a Packers win, but nobody, I mean, forget that the final was whatever, 14, 16, that was a blowout win by the Packers. And I think, you know, if you're the Cowboys now and you lose that badly in that round of the playoffs, I understand it's just one game, but you have to reevaluate how close are you to winning a Super Bowl with this team when, you know... <laughs> It's just no, not when, when, when Bill Belichick's out there as an available coach. Well, yeah. So, you, I mean, I, I agree with you, Shane, whether it's Bill Belichick or something, something has to change for Dallas. Like, I don't see Dallas if they just say, let's bring McCarthy back for three more years. Let's have Dak Prescott as our quarterback. This is going to be our team. You know, we're going to build it around him and Miles Garrett and CD Lamb, etc. I just don't see it. I just don't see them winning. And so I, to me, this big loss suggests more of a step function change is needed than something tweaking. That's just my opinion. Well, Eric, the obvious question is, do you feel the same about other teams that had big such losses like Philadelphia, for example? But maybe we, we're going to take that up a little bit with Ethan in the second half. But Dallas wasn't the only one that had such a shellacking, though the cracks have been there in the past, which might give it greater magnitude. Adi. So you, you mentioned that Dallas came in with the, the best ranked or one of the absolute best defenses, and then they just were terrible. This leads me to just a general question about defenses in football. I always thought the problem with defenses in football is they just don't predict the next year, and which they don't. But I thought that they could predict within the season, and I'm really concerned that, that even that's not really not really real. Uh, any, I mean, that we saw that was Dallas. I mean, it, it, um, the, the Eagles were supposed to have a good defense for a long time until they just completely stopped. Um, some of that could be due to personnel changes. By the way, Adi, Texans shredded Cleveland, which was another other defense. defensive team. I mean, is, is this an anomaly? In, in is, is there a general rule here? I feel in one game you can't necessarily, like, like the Eagles, like, defense has been falling apart for the second half of the season, yeah. basically. So there's a lot more accumulated evidence of something being a real problem there. Whereas I think in any one game, you know, again, game flow wise, everything else, you can, um, a top defense, obviously it's not, you know, likely to happen, but a top defense getting shredded. And it is true that we had two top, top defenses getting shredded this, uh, this last weekend. And actually it's, it's funny. I was, I want to talk about the two, the two quarterbacks that did the shredding 
Jordan Love and CJ Stroud, you know, are both like if we were to kind of I mean, they look like elite quarterbacks now. I don't I don't know if they will continue to be, but they look both like elite quarterbacks right now. It's interesting contrast and development, right? Where Jordan Love does that whole sit sit behind like Rogers, like for like three years, and CJ Stroud's doing this as a rookie. So it's like it's it's kind of crazy. I think that's very notable. They're they're both relatively unprecedented in in their extremeness. I mean, we I mean, you know, we know Rogers sat behind Favre or whatever, so we've got a little bit of precedent even in the same franchise, but not hugely so. Young sat behind Montana, did he not? Am I remembering that? Correctly? Oh yeah, yeah, for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So there, there are a few. Oh no, but he played before then, right? Wasn't he? Wasn't I? I just forget. SFL or something like that. He, he was. Yeah. He was in the. He was a supplemental draft pick. But the the point is, we haven't seen much of either one of those. We don't see guys play this well in their first year, and we don't see guys play this well after sitting on the bench for three years or or more, whatever it was that that Love has had. Okay. Uh, anything about this coming weekend? Let's just look real quickly. We've got four four matches. The, the closest line is the Chiefs and Bills at two and a half. The others are six, eight and a half, and nine and a half. Which of these games are is most interesting to you guys? Texans at Ravens kicks us off Saturday after, mid afternoon. Packers at Niners Saturday night. Bucks at Lions Sunday afternoon. Chiefs at Bills to wrap up the weekend Sunday night. I mean, I think Chiefs Bills has got to be the marquee match. I I mean, as, as far as just kind of like entry you know and history and all that type of stuff i mean i am super intrigued to see what cj stroud and jordan love do against again some very good defenses like coming up this week so we're going to see them um being hit by more good defenses yeah i just wow if the ravens or niners were to lose i'm not saying it's it's obviously not impossible i mean well those point spreads imply what maybe 75 percent somewhere around there um, Nine points on a 13-point standard deviation. Give Adi the – Adi's our calculator. So it's two-thirds of a standard deviation? It's about, yeah. It's about – seven. it's more than 70%, but it's it's up there. Okay. So, yeah, 70 75%. I mean, the Ravens and Niners were the best two teams for a good part of the season. I would be very, very surprised. But as Shane just said – CJ Stroud seems really good and Jordan Love seems yeah. really good. So both, it, of, both of them did. I mean, wouldn't you be if those are your teams, aren't you a little bit worried and like kind of shockingly worried given what teams they are? All right, well, I mean, let's do what we've did we've done before. Forget the Chiefs Bills, which is a close game, but at least by the point spread. How many upsets are there? We'll each pick a number. It's either zero, one, two, or three in the Texans, Packers, or Bucks. How many of the Texans, Packers, or Bucks? win their game one isn't that the modal number at this point <laughs> hard yeah, to pick anything other than that it's hard to pick anything other than one that's exactly right um, too easy a question the question should be the line right you know, well what let's flip it around which of those three we're all, say the mode is one and we acknowledge that the point spreads aren't identical but which of those three would you put your chips on for the upset between the Bucks going into Detroit, the Packers going to San Francisco, and, and Houston coming into – To me, it would be the Bucks at the Lions. Not, I'm not saying that as a homer. I mean, A, it's the point spread, but B, the Lions aren't as good in my mind, and the data suggests it, as the Ravens or the Niners. Um, secondly, the Lions looked great, and then the second half of the game happened, and all of a sudden they didn't look so great. Um, so I, I think the Bucks have a chance in that game. I do. I mean, you know, I think the Bucks have a very reasonable chance, and the Bucks actually have won a lot of big road games in the second half of the season. Um, so, you know, they've won six out of their last seven games. So I think the Bucks has to be, of the four underdogs, well, the Chiefs are the biggest of the four, but of the other three, I'd say the Bucks. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think the Bucks too invest in variance, man. I mean, I think the Lions and the Bucks are the high variance teams, kind of remaining. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's uh, that that's that's sort of. Uh, All yeah, right, but I would let me ask there. a question that Matt put in the. Uh, you said one is the modal outcome, and it's hard to move off one. If you had to move off one to zero or two, which would you take? Zero. Yeah, zero. zero. Okay, me too. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's, you know, it's a, there's a few bit mismatches. I mean, I think, again, we do have two very strong number one seeds this year. So I think that automatically makes, um, you know, half the game's mismatches. 
Well, the, the also we, to, we we say this all the time, and now is the time for us to honor it. Teams are never as good or as bad as they looked last week, and we this happens in the NFL all the time. And so we just saw these extraordinary performances from the Texans and the Packers. I mean, just you know, shockingly destructive performances. We need to we need to regress in the way we think about those teams' performance. It's unlikely that we'd see something like that from them again, even if they played the same teams again. These guys, moreover, we know we just we're going to talk about it with Ethan in the second half. It's a copycat lead. They put stuff on film. We're going to see defenses adjust. I think for all those reasons, you got to temper your expectations for those underdogs going into. So, so Kate, according to Massey Peabody, like if the Texans and Ravens had played, I don't know, let's call it in week. Let's not say a meaningless week, like 18 or 17, whatever it is. The Texans and Ravens had played in week 14 Texans at Ravens. What would the spread of that game have been? Let's give two for the home field. So would it have been, is a six and a half? Are they six and a half different on a neutral field? Or is this line an overreaction to the Texans blowout of the Browns? Well, I can probably dig up our numbers at least through last weekend, the previous weekend, if not this one. But going back, I can't go back to week 14 too quickly. Okay. Um, I can say that the Ravens have been floating around at like plus 10, plus 11. And that the, you know, no one had, the Texans have been steadily moving up from very low on everybody's power rankings since the beginning of the season. So by the time late, you know, what are you saying? You're saying late second half, mid second half of the season, they probably had drifted past the halfway point, but we're still talking about a big, I mean, I'm going to say that. they're Yeah. And I I mean, I think that's, that's the thing is, I, I mean, I totally agree with your previous point that you can't like overreact to looking awesome in the previous week. But to the extent that both the Packers and Texans, like there's pretty strong evidence of like non-stationarity here where they have continued to rise as the season has gone on. And, yeah. you know, may, maybe the maybe the sort of like there's more value. If, if their trend was already that, there's more value in another awesome performance, basically. Well, that's you know, that's always the trick. And we talk about it. We've, that's one of the main themes in the show is non-stationarity. It's one of the biggest challenges for the forecaster is to is to understand how stable is this process that you're forecasting those two teams do seem to be at least demonstrating some non-stationary they're improving a lot over the course of the year makes sense with stroud to some extent it makes sense with love first 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 full season first full season and also you have to you have to put some probability that um brock purdy's not actually going to play that well in that game. I have more faith in Lamar Jackson than I do in Brock Purdy in that game. So I'm not saying Purdy might not play fine. I'm just saying if you had to pick between the Packers Niners or Texans Ravens, I think I'd pick the Packers over the Niners more so than the Texans over the Ravens. That's just me. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of both those points and back to the Massey Peabody, truth is on Houston, looking at our numbers on Houston, even through the end of the regular season, we did not yet have them to the midway point. And the reason for that is because of the difficulty of valuing a first-year quarterback. They historically are a drag on a team's performance, and our model's just not catching up enough with that prior. That's the bottom line on that. And it's it's to Shane's point. It's like, how are you supposed to judge the Texans whenever they have moved from a guy who'd never play a professional game to a guy who's playing that game at a very high level. In yeah, the we're used to seeing months. like a rookie season as the floor on a quarterback, you know, you usually, and now it's like, if this is the floor, I mean, you just, you, you can't help but dream. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, guys, any adjustments? We haven't seen the, Ravens and the Niners in a couple of weeks. And so we can't really update our opinion on where they're going to be for the Super Bowl. If you look at forecasts, so our friend Neil Payne over at the Messenger these days is running a playoff predictor, simming simming the remainder season. And he has the Ravens and the 49ers at about half the chance of making the Super Bowl. So what does that mean? About an average of 0.7 on each of the next two rounds, make the Super Bowl. And then he gives the Ravens a bit of a nudge. Ravens overall, 33% chance to win. 49ers, 28% chance. Of the other teams, Bills the best. Lions after that. Chiefs, really surprisingly, Chiefs only fifth on his board and probability of winning the Super Bowl. And then trailing far below uh, Bucks, Packers, and Texans. Any, If you had to pick one of the non-one-seeds, as a Super Bowl champion, who would you pick and why? Bills. Chiefs. I think I, the Chiefs. I, I all right. Well, that's interesting. We'll see how it goes. I think the Bills. I think the Bills have been playing fantastic football. I think 
you know, I, I, you know, this is one of those always things I like to ask Adi and Shane on, on our show. So we, um, we've never seen Patrick Mahomes play a road playoff game. So uh, I'm not saying he hasn't played lots of big road games in his career. All I'm saying is he's never had to play a road playoff game. I think the Bills are the better team right now, and I think they win this game. The only X factor to me is they have Superman. They've got the best player in the NFL. It's not, and it, and it's not Josh Allen. He's good. And Eric, I- they've got the Bills are so depleted on the defensive side of the ball. They've got they're 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 down all their linebackers are down some of their cornerbacks. I mean, we don't yet know who's going to be able to suit uh, up. On that's something. fair. That's fair yeah. comment about injury. You should probably be glad if you're a Buffalo's fan. Second chance, the very last game of the week, kid. Those extra hours might help them get more guys on uniform. <laughs> well, I was just so, going to say, like, I I see the Chiefs as, like, kind of a safer. Like, so the Bills are the high, very, like, I agree. The Bills probably have the highest ceiling of, of, of you know, it, it, the non-one seeds. Um, but I just, I, I, I have more confidence in the Chiefs putting together because the, the Bills or Chiefs are now going to have to pull off two upsets to win it all. Correct. Right? Yep. And so um, one comment I have, one comment I have yeah. about the Bills, they, they they lost a bunch of early games kind of really close against uh, and tough teams. I don't know if that that's already been in, factored in. And I just reiterate about the defense doesn't predict well. So if you're if you're putting them down because of their their injuries and in defense. I don't know how how well that's going to do. So I would probably go with the. Well, you're talking about, but your your defense thing is season to season, like the non-stationary no, of losing that... a key defensive player or two. Game to game is clearly something there. I would love to know. That's a great line. Sure, I'd love to see some data on that. I'm, I'm maybe Massey Peabody and the, the Peabody side is, puts that in the betting. Um, well, you know. certainly. I don't. I don't know about. Well, I know the lower coefficients on defensive side for dang sure. That's an absolute fact, guys. We're gonna wrap up the term here now without having talked about anything other than football. We've only got a few more weeks. That's probably going to remain our focus. What other sport are you most excited about getting to when we do roll off of football? What are you dying to talk about? Real quick round Robin. What are you dying to talk about? We will be getting to it in the next couple of weeks. Golf or oh. tennis? Ten- Golf and Hall tennis. Of Fame baseball. Come on. It's the only thing I ever think about. Hall- if it's not the- Hall- <laughs> I mean, second vote for Hall of Fame, but hockey too. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, there we uh, go. starting to there focus a- on hockey. as we There's a diverse the portfolio there. Eric says golf, tennis. Adi says Hall of Fame. Shane goes to bat for his Canadian national sport of hockey, in addition to baseball, of course. All right, fellas, that's been the first half. Come back and join us after the break. You're listening to Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. Welcome to the second half of Wharton Moneyball. This is the half of the show where we usually bring in a guest, and we are going to do that this week. We've still got the whole crew here. Shane, Adi, and Eric, all from their respective homes, I see. All four of us at home this afternoon. And we are joined in our homes by Mr. Ethan Strauss. Ethan is a sports writer. He's the creator of House of Strauss. You can read him. He's got a Substack working there. You can see him on Twitter, at Sherwood Strauss, at Sherwood Strauss. But really, you can find him, houseofstrauss.com. He's got a great Substack. Last time he was on the show, I think he picked up at least at least two subscriptions from the host, if nothing else. Yeah. I think it's a pretty good endorsement. Ethan, glad to get some time with you. Thanks for making time for us. Oh, I, I always make time for my customers. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> well, tell you what, it's been a joy to read you. I, I think you are a distinct I, – I see, I see what the other guys say, but a distinct voice. You've got an interesting perspective across sports – I told them today I, I made sure that everyone had seen your peacockification article, which we're talking about. And it seems to me one of your specialties is identifying these macro trends. I think you've got a good eye for macro stuff and insights into it. Um, but we're, we want to encourage everybody to dig up Ethan's work. It's reliably provocative and, and sharply independent, which is delightful. So with that little pep talk, Ethan, what is this peacockification idea that you that you're pitching around, and why should we be scared or not scared about mm. it? Um, well, we should be scared of pronouncing it. Number one, yes. I think it's the main thing that we should be afraid of is pronouncing that that term extemporaneously. Um, now, 
to give a little indication of how the magician does his tricks, I would like to claim credit for being able to just find macro trends because I'm like one of the uh, oracles of minority report and I just see all these things. But right. a lot of what I do is talk to people and people will come to me. And the origin of the peacockification is industry people saying, this is a big deal. This is a big deal right here. And what we're talking about as you might know, is that they put Chiefs Dolphins wild card playoff game in frigid temperatures out there in KC. They put it behind the paywall. They put it on Peacock, a streamer that has 30 million subscribers. That sounds like a lot, but in the grand scheme compared to cable, that's that's not a lot. Uh, subsidiary in a way of, uh, of NBC. And people paid up. I mean, we don't know how many subs that it drove, but the rating on it, reported by NBC was 23 million. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not sure it's often a little fishy when there's self-reporting of numbers. So, I'm not going to hold NBC to that. I just know that it's regarded in the industry as a massive success. Mm-hmm. So, what does that mean? It means that these streamers Ethan, real, that real see- quickly, can I yeah. can I ask one clarifying question? Sure. I, I don't I don't mean to be glib, but it, can't we give some of those numbers credit to taylor swift i mean what would that have looked like taylor swift wasn't dating kelsey is it not the case that she does bring new eyeballs to the nfl and the kc game had that going for it at least a little bit i mean i'm sure i think that it's all part of the overall mix um of the chiefs as a public team which is something the nfl can do in a way that other sports cannot do small market um, not that well-known or visited a city, but the combination of Patrick Mahomes, Kelsey dating Taylor Swift, and the success just makes them somebody that a lot of people would pay to see. And I was like a lot of people on Saturday where I was getting a few text messages from people saying, hey, do you have a login? Do you have a login? Yeah. People wanted to breach the paywall to see this game. It drove a tremendous amount of business in NBC's direction. And so what is the meaning of that? It means that these companies are now emboldened to do it. And they're going to try to put more games and big events behind the paywall. And then also, I think it just has a huge downstream effect on the sports media rights industry because it's not just about them putting a few games behind the paywall. It's about the resources and the money getting devoted to the big paywall events that can drive that sort of demand and maybe flowing away from the inventory sports that exist on cable is kind of background noise, more or less, if we're talking about baseball and to a certain extent, basketball. So it's a big deal, big deal in this industry. So we're going to want to hear more about this category of inventory sports versus special events. But first, some questions, at least two of the guys, maybe all three of them want to get in, Eric and then Adi. Yeah, Ethan. So one of the thoughts I had was that they're probably, and I'd love your thoughts, is that it's almost like people wanted to test um, the extremity of the event as well, which is, let's say we have a prediction of how well people are going to perform under weather conditions. And, you know, you say, well, it's 30 degrees. Boy, that seems tough. How about 20? How about 10? How about zero? How about a minus 30 wind chill? It was almost, my guess would be there were a lot of fans out there just wanting to see what impact such, I'll use the statistical term, an extreme value of X would have on the output function. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, it did have this Hunger Games-esque quality where uh, Taylor Swift is watching it behind what looks like glass bricks of a barrier between her and the elements and everybody else out there competing like gladiators uh, need a Sherpa to usher them to the Gatorade, uh, you know, container or whatever, really hot chicken broth container in that circumstance. It did have that aspect. Now I do think that kind of thing is on the margins. I think it's mostly if you had chiefs dolphins, to what you're saying, I'm sure there was more interest because it was a battle against the elements and Andy Reid's mustache is frozen solid. Uh, but I think it still would have done near there, even if it was ideal conditions and the game happened to be in Miami. It's just the NFL playoffs. They're, they're just a different animal. There's just nothing quite like the NFL and American culture. College football is having a moment, and maybe you could say that they are just one tier below, and maybe those two are very much separated from the rest in American sports culture, but the NFL is at the top and not by a little. 
and it's separating. It's separating from the others. Last year, when the NFL went up against the NBA on Christmas Day, they got an average rating that was five times the NBA. This Christmas, a few weeks ago, they went up against each other again, and it was 10 times what the NBA put out there. <laughs> so we're seeing a separation take place currently. So this is, we're going to go to Adi, but just again, warming up towards this inventory sport category. And you've talked about it before. You've talked about it in some of your musings about how, what the NBA can do about it. It seems like one of the real interesting knock-on consequences is it might force some of these sports into rethinking things like their schedule. But let's hold off on that yeah. for a second, Adi. Wow. So this is a, a really interesting um, kind of sort of paradigm, I mean, but it's not new. I mean, there's been pay pay-per-view forever. I mean, remember I was a kid, like the big fights were always pay-per-view and you couldn't see them unless you paid. Um, I think what, what you're kind of talking about is that things that we used to sort of get and everyone saw on cable or on broadcast is now people realize there's much more money to be made if you just put it behind a paywall. Um, can I just get a, a couple of sort of backgrounds? This was a 23, they alleged 23 million. I get, it's a good point that we don't know what they did because this is, they're self-serving about it. Um, yeah. How does that compare to some of the other big um, games over the weekend, um, first of all? And second of all, I mean, I like the idea of this comparison between event versus inventory. And certainly we're seeing more drive towards event. But inventory for, for, provides almost like a very different function. Um, in terms of attendance is a much bigger thing at an inventory game like baseball, hockey, basketball, um, less so. And football, it's like, you know, I almost get I don't even want to go to the game. I just want to watch it on TV. Yeah. It's like a very different thing. So that's just a couple of uh, uh, thoughts that I throw out and let's hear your reaction. Yeah, um, I think that distinction is key right now. The events versus inventory distinction. Now, uh, we'll return to that to address the first point. Um what would it have gotten if it was available to all? Now, the Cowboys getting blown out got around 40 million viewers. Um, so maybe it wouldn't have been twice what it got, but it would have been near there. I think if I had to guess, maybe it would have been in the upper 30s. Now, what's a little bit interesting is that they've added a new aspect to the metrics Nielsen has, which is out-of-home viewing. They didn't used to count out-of-home viewing. They used to just do it on the basis of the Nielsen TVs. Now they've added not only the hospitals, the airports, the hotels, they've also just found ways to uh, know when Nielsen people are near a TV through some very interesting technology um, and just know if you're you're huddled around the sports bar television. So in a way, you could say they've juiced the numbers. They would argue they've made the numbers more accurate. Um but we're getting completely far afield. We're getting completely far afield right now. It was just a lot. You wouldn't have expected to have a paywall like that and even do better than half of what you would do uh, ordinarily. And I felt like you had another question that I didn't totally, uh, I didn't totally assess and truly analyze. Yeah, um, I guess, I guess what I was talking about is sort of the, um, the trend. It's like, so the football is becoming bigger because they've embraced this event idea. Um, and I guess you threw it out as a potential kind of comparison. Like, what should the other sports be doing? Should they be trying to, I mean, I'll turn it into a question. Should yeah. they be trying to embrace event or should they recognize that they don't, they're not ever going to be events and that they should push the inventory mm. or, and, and, and move towards people attending and watching regularly and kind of have that, like, um, and that's like a different, I mean, baseball is 162 games. It's 10 times more than football. It's a, just an entirely different way of, uh, of dealing with the sport. Yeah. It's such a great question because part of me likes that baseball is almost like uh, the screensaver in my life, just mm -hmm. something that can be on in the background that I can do my taxes while watching. Um, and it's just part of this nice thing to have around. But for the most part, yeah, I think it's event or die. I think you need to become an event. Um, maybe to what you're saying, your comparative advantage could be being the constant and baseball Perhaps that's that's its fate and it can't rescue itself from that. But I think if you're the NBA, I mean, the chance probably would have been when they got their new TV deal um, entering the 2014-2015 season that they could have, as part of that deal, truly radically reformed themselves because they were riding high. Um, but now that they're riding lower, they might have some impetus. I think the best way to do the NBA would be twice a week 
Tuesdays and Thursdays. This is called the Kevin Arnovitz model because he proposed it on ESPN.com that you have a schedule that's around 44 games that you have. Everybody knows it's Tuesdays. Everybody knows it's Thursdays, or you could pick different days. The whole point is that it's twice a week and maybe you have a weekend showcase that gives you not just the scarcity, but also the expectation that the NFL has where Mm -hmm. everybody knows who their team is Mm -hmm. playing the next week you get on that schedule you become an event and somebody could say hey that's too risky the owners they don't want to give up that money um i would argue it's not giving up money it's giving up risk and we do have proof of concept the best viewership season for the nba after michael jordan left the stage was (laughs) the lockout season in 2011 that's the best one and that was a season that was an absolute aesthetic mess that you couldn't do true promotion for because they had to rush it. So you didn't even have marketing for that season. And wow, the fewer games, 66 games, way more people watch. I think it's an indication that that's what the customer wants. And it would be really hard. It would be so hard to be like herding cats to get all those owners together to make them shorten this and build in some regularity. But the NBA is truly hurting. They're trying all these gambits and gimmicks and the in-season tournament they're they're trying to do this by other means they might as well just make the hard choice and do it is what i'd say Mm -hmm. coming back to um the uh chiefs game um behind the and the sort of success of the paywall do you have that 23 million broken down by like new subscribers versus existing peacock subscribers no they don't i mean maybe they'll break that out for us but these companies and this is part of the issue. This is another issue I've written about. I call it the great vega, the vaganine when it comes to television popularity. Ten years ago, we knew how popular every single TV show was in America. Mm-hmm. Nielsen might have been imperfect, but it was a pretty good proxy for what was popular. Now we have a situation where HBO comes out and they go, 18 million people are watching Euphoria. I've heard Euphoria is a pretty good show. I don't think they're getting that kind of that kind of viewership. It might have been it was in the teens. It might not have been 18, but whatever it was, I don't think it's getting those numbers. But we're at a place right now where all these streamers have their own numbers and they say you can't trust the Nielsen numbers because they do linear. They're sharing more data. So it's a bit of a mix. And to what you're saying, we don't always know. All I can tell you is that people in the industry think that they got a big number. I can't tell you what the exact breakdown and breakout is right now. Yeah, I guess I'm, I was more getting to the kind of what what would be the goal of like this kind of paywall marquee event kind of strategy. Is it more to drive new customers like to yeah. like new subscribers or is it more to kind of pile up be like we're we're the we're the like service with these mini marquee mm. events? Is it like kind of. I don't know exactly yeah. what, how how, th- how people like in the industry are kind of thinking about it. Well, it's a lot of different things to what you're saying. It's a Costco free sample, but it's also, uh, you know, it's it's also all these other things where, you know, at, at Peacock, I, I don't want to, I maybe gave them short shrift in my article, but they've got Big Ten, they've got EPL, they've got some sports rights. And so maybe it's, hey, now that you're already here, Look at all this other stuff we have, and maybe we can retain you. So there's an aspect of driving subs. There's an aspect of just getting a payload from people subscribing, and you hope they forget to subscribe. But I think that it's also part of a customer acquisition model for uh, a strategy of providing these exclusive rights. And so I think and there's the other aspect, too, and why we'll see more stuff happen behind the paywall is that they're double dipping. I mean, it's not like you were watching that Chiefs-Dolphins game and during the ad breaks, we just looked at Andy Reid's mustache. They were selling us stuff. So, I mean, that is very tempting for these companies. I don't know if we're going to see the Super Bowl behind a paywall, but I think that sort of thing is on the table. That that can't be dismissed as a far-fetched fantasy right now. Mm-hmm. Ethan, uh, guys, before we transition away from this topic, let's just note what what NBC paid for this $110 million is the number that I saw, which is sometimes we lose perspective on the value of the NFL property. I mean, it's astounding. It's one of 13 postseason games. It's an early round game at that. And it was 
it got $110 million. I mean, they have a zillion other ways to monetize the sport, but that's just a real direct indication of the value. Let's change gears, talk a little real football before we talk NBA while we have Ethan in front of us. But Ethan, you did anticipate in print the demise of the Philadelphia Eagles back. They did just take a hit from San Francisco when you wrote the article, but they were still riding high. People saw, still thought that they were the number one seed. Steve Young took them to task and you, you got on Steve Young's bandwagon. Yeah. And then we saw it really continue to, the wheels just continued to come off last night. What is your analysis of what happened in Philadelphia? And guys, this is our first time together since this happened. This is our hometown team. It is pretty stunning. Um, who was it today? Kevin Clark today on Twitter said, I think this is the first example we've seen other than the team losing his quarterback. Do you have another example this prominent of a team looking that good, say midseason, and having the wheels come off this badly? What happened? I think people have uh, talked about the New York Giants coming off uh, going to the Super Bowl and the wheels falling off after starting 11 and one or something similar. Um, that was the season that Plaxico Burris shot himself, uh, if memory serves. So maybe there's a comparison right there. But this did seem highly unusual. I think the Eagles to me were fascinating because they were riding higher than they should have ridden, in part because they had that tush push play. That was a big factor. And then extended from that, the tush push and also just being great in short yardage. It's a situation where if you're playing blackjack and you're card counting and you get every single little edge again and again and again, which is fantastic. And it really helped them to have this great record that was better than the point differential. But I think it also obscured a lot of the issues and how they just weren't of a team quality that they were last season. The boring answer is I think they just lost so much talent. Uh, in the coaching ranks and also on the field that they their cupboard was bare. I mean, you guys know the linebacking was uh, was not great. That's the type of thing that is difficult to uh, smoke and mirrors your, your way out of. So I think Steve Young observed that, and then I smartly pegged my currency to Steve Young. I said, well, I can't be more wrong than NFL legend Steve Young, at least. So uh, I'll try that. And I think the media right now is trying to outsmart itself and show how savvy it is by saying, I'm not going to overreact and be a prisoner of the moment based on what happened in the Niner game. And, oh, my God, the schedule's so easy and this and that. I think sometimes you just have to assess what you're looking at. And Steve Young's arguments about the Eagles were very compelling to me because they were based on observation. Um, and what he observed, I think was ultimately, uh, validated. It was just a lack of talent. The most concerning thing I think is the stuff Bosa has said about Jalen hurts and this idea that perhaps he just doesn't know how to operate when flushed out of the pocket in a particular way. Maybe mm -hmm. he can work on it. Um, I'm no football genius, but that to me is bigger than Sirianni. Everybody's talking about Sirianni right now. I think hurts. That's, that's the thing. That's the big deal right now for the Eagles. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's so one, one observation, one of the defensive players said this after the game yesterday that they said, we put some stuff on tape and then everybody copied it. That's of course what happens in the NFL. That's what Bosa said was going to happen. It's like we showed that we gave them the blueprint. Hopefully the Cowboys will follow. That's the way it goes down in the NFL. People scout so well, but your comments make me think that the, that the mistake was the interpretations in the first half of the season, the storytelling in the first yeah. half of the season about how magnificent this Philadelphia team was, which is, you know, people, there's just so much storytelling. We really went off on this after the college football playoffs a couple weeks ago, Eric and then Shane. Yeah. Ethan, I'm just going to ask you, do you ever look at like, um, like a different counterfactual world? So let's remember in week 16, I think the Eagles were up. I don't remember if it was 17 or 21 against the Cardinals. Yeah. Let's say they don't have one of the worst fourth quarters in the team's history. They win that game. Then all of a sudden they're, you know, in line for the two seed, possibly even the one seed. Like to me, that one quarter, they lost control of the division. It exacerbated all of their issues. And it made it so that in some sense they're like, oh, we're going to be at best the five seed. Now we're going to, have to play on the road, on the road, on the road. Do you think there is a counterfactual world where, you know, maybe we're focusing too much on the outcomes, but if that one quarter had gone differently, some other world may have happened for the Eagles or no, they're just fundamentally flawed. Oh. I mean, that that's football, right? Where the small sample size completely swings the conversation. 
And I can't disagree with what you're saying. It's just funny. We go into that Cowboys Packers game. You ask a hundred people analyzing football, who is the better quarterback, Dak Prescott or Jordan Love? And a hundred out of a hundred say, well, Dak Prescott right now, uh, three quarters later, it's a hundred out of a hundred. Well, it's obviously Jordan Love, you know, he's obviously the better quarterback. Um, I mean, I prefer Jordan Love, but it's just funny how these things wildly swing. I just wrote uh, a little piece, just a thought on comparing Matthew Stafford to he, uh, to Akeem Olajuwon. I know that might not be the most intuitive of comparisons, but they're both guys whose legacies are heavily defined by what they did after age 30. And I think we, we have this thing to what you're saying, creeping determinism, where whatever happens to us as human beings, because we're story-making machines, it seems to us like it was the obvious thing that we almost expected, but it's not. And in the case of Olajuwon, his reputation was very checkered until Jordan retires, and then he wins those two finals. I mean, you could have an interesting conversation of, well, what do we think of Olajuwon? How is he considered? People say he's a top 10 player. Would they be saying anything close to that if not for the Jordan retirement? I think that's a legit conversation. And then Stafford, in an odd way, had a similar status as a very aesthetically pleasing player, your quarterback's favorite quarterback, but his reputation was wildly different. And you wonder if Tart on the Niners back then didn't drop the easiest interception opportunity in playoff history. Do we just have a wildly different interpretation of Stafford, who I think is great and and really fun to watch? And, and what's happened is given him his deserved due, but there's this chasm, massive chasm between how, say, Goff, is assessed and how Stafford is obsessed. And does something like that just turn on the smallest and most random trifle almost. So uh, to what you're saying, yeah, there's a very good chance that there's a counterfactual there and football, especially just seems to be the biggest sport in that respect where uh, whole reputations can just turn on a dime. Just one other example. Recently, I was just listening to um, our, our friend, Bruce Feldman, go on about Kellen DeBoer and how highly regarded he is among coaches and how just extraordinary he is, blah, 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 blah. And the Longhorns had four plays from the 15-yard line to win that game, and Washington wouldn't have made the national finals, and the, the conversation would be different. They would be talking about Steve Sarkeesian mm. in the same tones, like literally – just the complete one pass, and you had the same conversation about the opposite coach. When that's the case, something's not right. Your judgment's not right when that's what it's turning on. Oh, I, I, your judgment's not right, but we need that. We need that. We need that unfairness. I mean, that gives the situation juice. The what was it said in The Simpsons when Homer, uh, when Lisa and Bart were playing hockey against each other, and the winner will be showered with praise, the loser will be cursed and screamed at until my voice is hoarse. Um, we need that sense that somebody's going to get a whole bunch of glory. Maybe not all of it deserved, but they're going to get a whole bunch of glory. And somebody else is going to have some unfairness coming their way. And if we don't have that wild swing in reputation, then the event itself loses some oh, of what we're interested oh, in. Oh man, that's 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 provocative because we're sitting here. We're the rational academics. Some of us even study decision-making. We hate those kinds of biases. We rail against the narrative-driven conversation. And you come in and say, oh, you know, actually, if we didn't have that, you wouldn't like your sports as much. Well, I mean, you guys can be different. I can be different. But we need the majority of the conversation to be that and to have that shape. You try to smarten up that conversation, you bleed the life out of it. I mean, you need people to accept the importance because then you can easily find yourself in this existential question of what is the meaning of any of this? Why is anything, why is anything, anything? Um, I mean, I remember I was in the locker room with the Warriors and uh, Steph was annoyed that they were making it a rivalry between him and the Clippers. And he was saying to me, like, why does it have to be a rivalry? You know, why, why? And I said, well, I mean, it's, it's like pro wrestling. It's fun. <laughs> That's fun. Why is anything anything? You're throwing a you're throwing a sphere through a ring. So Ethan, what in some level what it sounds is I'm gonna reinterpret it as a bit of a of a counter or almost a screed against analytics because we are trying to fight all of this 
I mean, and just the two things you talked about, the coaching kind of perspective and how that really will flip on on the outcome or on a couple of events. So the, the analytics community will basically say, well, we just can't really evaluate coaching um, because it's just so unpredictable and, it, and, and it's so event driven. But, but going back to it with the quarterbacks, I mean, I'm, we talked about the Eagles. So I remember preseason. I don't have the the technology to evaluate quarterbacks myself. So I went out to all my analytics friends who do this and nobody thought much of Jalen Hurts. I mean, maybe number mm-hmm. 10 um, and, and nobody higher. I'll tell you that much. And, and I kept thinking, how can the Eagles be really good if they don't have a, a great quarterback? That seems to be the only thing that predicts. Right. And so when they were 10 and one, and again, Jalen wasn't looking great. Um, the the score differentials were basically zero. Everyone was just like, you know, this is a massive overperformance. Looking looking to 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 regress, and we don't know by how much. But it almost what you're you're kind of saying is that we're the boring people in all this. Yeah. And um and and that so what's our what's going to be our role in in the public? I mean, obviously we haven't, this is an analytics show, right? So we're trying to make sense. We're trying to stop the craziness. Um, but you're saying without the craziness, it's not fun. Um, is there yeah. a fun role for us? <laughs> yeah. Without the craziness, it's not sports. It's just exercise. I mean, you need that irrationality. <laughs> you need that fanaticism. And there's a role for being smarter about it. There's a role for what Bill James did back in the day. And the people actually making these decisions behind the scenes need to know what they're doing or they're going to perform better if they know what they're doing. Um, But yeah, I think you need both elements. You don't want the conversation to be completely deranged and idiotic and prisoner of the moment, but you need a little bit of that. And it gives you something to push against. It gives you something to have a contrary uh, perspective with. I just think you need it all. I, I think when you go the way baseball has gone, where losing is never anybody's fault because everybody is just making their own little individual statistical contribution. I think that really bleeds the life out of a sport and it saps it of interest. And I don't think you want that for all the other sports. I just just one thing to add, Ethan, to Adi's point as well. The Eagles were one play slash drive away from winning the Super Bowl last year. And then think about how impossible it would be if they did ever want to get rid of Sirianni, which may be soon, or Hurts. But you can't. They're Super Bowl champions. He's only one play different than a Super Bowl winning quarterback and a Super Bowl winning coach. Because I was at that game and the Eagles were extraordinarily close. I think Hurts had one of the great Super Bowls of all time, by the way, last year. So regardless of whether he's good for the long run, if that counterfactual had turned out differently, I'll use, I don't really mean it this way, but we would have been stuck for both of them for a long time. The way the Cowboys are potentially stuck with McCarthy, who hasn't won a Super Bowl in 15 years or whatever the number is, and hasn't even won that many playoff games. Yeah, it's crazy how you can almost be a victim of your success like that in the NFL, where maybe you keep a coach that you wouldn't have wanted to keep because of that overperformance. I mean, Sean McDermott, I believe the conventional wisdom is that he would have been fired as coach of the Bills if not for that big play in the Kansas City game getting called back. A play that is ordinarily not called, that kind of offensive offsides. So just based on that, if that play is allowed to continue, I think the overwhelming likelihood is that the Chiefs win, McDermott gets fired, but now he has won a few games and it seems like his re- he's probably safe. Certainly, if they beat the Chiefs, then he's going to be safe. And it's crazy that your whole decision-making, these massive decisions for these companies that cost billions of dollars of who runs them, uh, it's just in the hands of a referee sometimes or just something that you could never have really controlled even if you put in all this effort. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. These guys, I mean, it's not our livelihood, but there are, there are people for whom not only is it their livelihood, it's their careers, their life. I mean, they just they just pour themselves into it and they're subject to that kind of chance. It's just absolutely extraordinary. Ethan, we're going to have to let you go, but you have to tell us something on the way out about the NBA. We're mostly neglecting it. We're We're football dominated, but we're about to have to turn our attention to it. And we're interested, but we're dropping in halfway. Give us a storyline that will help pull us into the NBA midseason. 
Oh man, I don't know if I have a storyline to pull us question into the NBA. Issue. I because, because I mostly focus I mostly focus on some of the business, some of the viewership, some of this behind the scenes stuff. I gave it up. This is the problem with inventory sports, folks, is that once I started covering all this stuff, I talked to a lot of people in the NBA and I talked to GMs and I talk about trends, but I'm not really paying attention. I know Embiid is having a great season. It's really that surface level. Um one thing I'm interested in is why this Wednesday night isn't working for the NBA. I think that's interesting. I'm writing about that right now. Uh, they put the NBA games Wednesday night, network TV on ABC, and then put the second part of the doubleheader on ESPN. And I would have done it. The space had been opened up because of the writer's strike. So you could mm-hmm. put your games on prime time, get more viewership because more people are watching network. And people aren't really watching. And then the bad part about it, the really bad part about it is they don't watch that West Coast game on ESPN that they try to throw to because it's not on the same channel. Mm -hmm. And to me, it just speaks to how habits-driven we are. And we expect an NBA doubleheader, and we expect it on the same channel. It's something where I'm not criticizing them. I would have done the same thing. But man, they got 1.6 million on the last ABC game. And then only 773,000 watched na- uh, jazz nuggets on ESPN. Jeez. That's like college, college lacrosse numbers. And <laughs> I don't think that's the case. I mean, they, they had the same thing happen the week before, where it was 1.6 on ABC and then fewer than a million watched Lakers heat Lakers on cable tends to get 1.6 million. If it's a decent matchup. So they're losing like half a million people on the back half, just because we're not used to uh, a non-NBA doubleheader regular season. I wouldn't have expected it. It's just these things. They're they're not just about numbers and abstractions. I think that viewership, it's a fascinating window into human psychology and behavior. And so that's something I've been watching. Well, we appreciate it. Keep writing about it. We we we, the, we don't do much with those numbers, but they are they we 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 do talk about them periodically when people like you write about them and it's helpful. Mm-hmm to give us perspective on what's going on in the landscape. So we appreciate it. Ethan Strauss, thank you for making time for us today. Thanks for having me on. You guys can find Ethan at thehouseofstrauss.com, houseofstrauss.com, great Substack you can subscribe to, also on Twitter, at Sherwood Strauss, at Sherwood Strauss on Twitter. That has been our show for this week. Thank you guys for listening. For the whole team here, Eric Bradlow, Shane Jensen, Adi Weiner, for the boss man, Matty Dats, for the associate boss man, Dion Simpkins, Thank you guys for listening. Come back and join us next time. Between now and then, enjoy your sports. Enjoy your sports.